Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz is on the phone lines with me, as always. You can read all of our stuff at themichiganinsider.com, 247sports.com slash Michigan. Uh, a lot of different ways to get there, but we write a lot of stories, and, and March is uh, a busy month for, for football, basketball, and recruiting. I think toward the tail end of the month, I think there'll be a little bit more recruiting news and notes, but obviously basketball is in full swing. Football spring practice at this time next week. We record on recording on Wednesday, but uh, practice, I, I believe it starts on Sunday, so it uh, should, should be some news notes and nuggets there uh, and, and Steve and I have been going back and forth and there'll be some continuing through the week spring preview stories I uh, gotten a lot of positive feedback about those stories so we'll keep them up but today's show we're going to talk basketball heading to the Big Ten tournament we're going to talk and, and and kind of about the team in general not just not just this weekend and then we'll talk we're going to continue our position I uh, can't remember exactly what our what we were calling it but kind of the key questions or storylines at each position group, uh, we're going to do receivers, tight ends, offensive linemen today. We'll continue on to the defense next week. And so anyway, let's get started. First, Michigan basketball. We talked about it last week. Could not build that game up anymore. You know, any corny hyperbole, uh, you know, this is everything, you know, that stuff. Uh, but we always we always had the caveat, you know, they, they're probably going to, you know, they've got three chances for a banner. They had one on Saturday. Seemed like they were on their way. Uh, you know, the, the bench players I thought were playing like champion team bench players play. Like like to win a championship, there's so many good teams. And Michigan State's one of them. And there's Michigan's probably one of them. You know, there's a lot of these good teams. Someone's got to play out of their shoes a little bit, you know, in a, in a good way. Someone's got to be an outlier. I think in 2017, it was Derek Walton. Last year, I thought Charles Matthews rose to the occasion. You know, this time last year, he was a little shaky. But by the tournament, he was he was back on track. Muhammad Ali Abdur-Rahman, I think, had a senior surge, and and Michigan State got outlier performances after falling behind twelve. They kind of whittled it back by halftime, and then uh, Xavier Tillman, I thought, had a had a great game. Kenny Goins, I don't know if the sixteen rebounds are more on Michigan or on him, but obviously uh, sixteen he almost out rebounded Michigan alone. It was twenty to sixteen in favor of Michigan versus Kenny Goins. And then Cassius Winston really had a had a phenomenal second half. But I will say, you know, and, and we didn't get any questions about it, so we won't discuss it too much. But looking at that game, I think the big thing is what you know. I would ask listeners who are heavily concerned about the loss to ask themselves: How many games would Michigan win this year if Iggy Brzdakis and Charles Matthews combined for twenty min- twenty two minutes a night? You know, I think to me. You know, I understand uh, Michigan State's without Nick Ward. I understand that foul trouble is a part of it. You don't get to say, you know, and 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 frankly, I'm not quite where Michigan fans are with the with how ridiculous some like that that one where Foster Lawyer fell down. When I see the replay, I mean, this is going to be an unpopular take. When I see the replay, I see Xavier Simpson tugging at his hand. He flopped for sure, but at the same time, there was a hand tug. Anyway, I didn't think the officiating it was. Really ticky tacky. I don't think it was the reason Michigan lost. I think the reason Michigan lost was that second half where they could not make very makeable buckets and then they could not stop Michigan State. They had their hand up on a few of them, but then there were also a few blown assignments. So I don't know about you, Steve. I really think Iggy and Charles Matthews, like the more I think about it, those are probably their 
two of their three best players. I'd throw Xavier Simpson in there. If they're playing 22 minutes combined in a game, I just don't think Michigan's going to win very many of those games against good teams. That's kind of a that's what that's the kind of stat you use when they like they quote unquote like survive against Northwestern or survive against like a Minnesota type team. It's not it's not a quote you use for survived against the best team in the Big Ten. So I don't we don't need to talk too much about it. But any any lasting thoughts a few days later? Um, I mean, ticky tacky is never going to be to Michigan's advantage. I feel like, uh, not this team. No more than, yeah. So that's never good. You know, I think it was, I think it was a deal where, you know, what was it? They had seven fouls within the first 10 minutes of the game. To me, I just, it almost ended up, the game almost ended up turning out the way I anticipated it would, uh, over the long haul. Interesting to note that Brasdakis has only committed four or more fouls four times this season. Mm-hmm. Two of them are against Mich- in the two games against Michigan State. Uh, and then one of the other ones was at Penn State. That was his first time fouling out on Saturday. So in three of four of Michigan's losses, he's had four more fouls. Or of the five losses, sorry. Uh, he's had four more fouls. Mm-hmm. That was kind of interesting. Uh you know, I, I don't. The one thing I guess, and like, it's not a uh, so much about griping about the officials, you know, affecting the game. It's it is. I do. I kind of have some. I'm in some agreement with people who get frustrated watching Izzo work the refs continuously, <laughs> and it seems to turn out. And again, I'm not. What I'm saying here is I'm not. Uh, not dissing Tom Izzo. I'm saying he knows exactly what he's doing when he does that. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, trying to go that route. I just think it, it, it does get, I can see where it'd be a little frustrating when you know that beeline's not really that kind of guy never has been that kind of guy, you know? And, and I, and whether that the griping does have some impact on the game or not, I don't know. I, I kind of sense that it does. Uh, and again, I'm not saying like that that's cheap or that, you know, that Izzo, that, that's ridiculous that he does that. Cause again, it works. He does it for a reason. He's not just doing it for, you know, nothing. I mean, the guy's been doing this for how long? Like he knows, he knows how the game is played. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I thought. It kind of reminds me of the, when defenses tug on receivers every time, knowing that the refs aren't going to call pass interference every time. Yeah, it's it's exactly what it is. I mean, that's and that's a great that's a great uh, football comparison. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, it's like daring you. You know, and it's like, so it, if anything, it kind of made the Penn State ejection hilarious. Like in in, in Beeline must have said something. He must have used uh, a, an in one of the, like the the seven or eight words that you can't say to an official. He didn't, and and but but and this is the one last thing I'll say. I, I knew this was going to turn into an officiating thing, but. Um, and mostly because of me, but did I got the sense though that that beeline was pretty frustrated in the way this game was officiated? Yes, you know, and he's not a guy I think that normally, you know, that you can maybe sense that per se. I mean, they've had games where they've, you know, well, obviously the game he got kicked out, but you know, they're they're he's not usually a guy like in in a in a loss or whatever that you know. But in this one, I really got the sense that that he was frustrated. Uh, about the way the game was officiated. So, t- 
to me though, I mean, but, but what it is, what it is. Uh, I think on a neutral court, I think it'd be interesting to see if they do meet a third time. I picked Maryland to get to the, to the championship, but I'm not, I'm not sure how confident I even am in that pick. I, I think there's a great chance that the, these two meet up again on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but to me, I thought, you know, and Winston gets all the credit, rightfully so. You mentioned him already. I, I thought Tillman was the MVP of the game for Michigan State. I think read a lot about, saw a few tweets from some people who know more about basketball than I do, uh, talking about his ability to kind of stay with Michigan's guards on the perimeter on those switches, just really. Well, yeah, I mean, Izzo has, I think he might have uncovered a way to beat Michigan's offense, and it's having a a big man who can do switches, because Nick Ward couldn't. Nick Ward, he does so many things well on the offensive end, so they definitely miss him, but he, Tillman's defense and their ability to switch on everything these past two games, I mean, I think Beeline said on on Sam and Iris' show, who, by, by the way, a uh, real quick thing on on the officiating. Uh, anyone who has sat within the first three rows of Michigan's bench, I, I have when I'm covering some of these games. Uh, Beeline's on the refs a lot. You know, it's it's sure. one of those things where I think there's this misconception that Beeline is like sitting there eating like a Wonder Bread and mayo sandwich and just like, oh, I did not agree with that call. No, he's he's very upset all the time. I mean, you go Google pictures of John Beeline like in the game. And it's almost always like him screaming at the officials. And obviously, there was the um, uh, the one time a couple weeks ago when Molly McGrath was interviewing Jim Harbaugh during the game, and Beeline's like <laughs> walking back and forth, acting like like he, he's like his life is ending with these calls. So I th- I think there's a misconception that he doesn't do it. I do think um, Izzo does a little bit more of a is is postulation the right word? It's a little bit more theatrical. However, I would caution fans, well, two things here. One, for those who want Beeline to do it more, he kind of hinted he might on this interview with Sam and Ira. I don't think he should do anything he's not comfortable with because Izzo, I don't think he's like, all right, I really got to turn it up. I think he just is that much hard on his sleeve. I mean, he's a really outspoken guy. Beeline's much more measured, I think, and Izzo's just hard on his sleeve. I think he'd be the exact same way in middle school basketball. So I, it's not, it's not, it's theatrical. I don't know if it's an act. I think it's just who he is. Now, I'm sure over the course of two decades of coaching Michigan State, he's kind of figured out which buttons to push. But also, I would also say, unless you've done the studies, you can't say that's why the calls favor one way or another. I mean, unless you can look and see what the call rate was before and after, you're going off your hunch. So... I, I, I definitely think he's more theatrical, and I definitely think he's able to get away with more than I think other coaches are. I don't know if that's a huge difference maker. But back to the game. Uh, Tillman, I think his ability to switch everything can really stifle what Michigan does offensively. And they, they just, I mean, you know, it's but two games now. There were spurts. There were moments where they were able to get everything they wanted, and then there were moments where they didn't. You know, and I mean, for Michigan to win the turnover margin by eight, outshoot Michigan State uh, from three, and lose by twelve, right? I think that says two things: one, your bucket getters weren't weren't in the game, which is true, and I think two, it says your defense, whatever you're doing. I mean, here here's a stat: 
that I think says a lot about what Michigan State's been able to do. No team Michigan has faced all season, except for one, has shot above 56% on twos. Not in one game. They've been 55. I think uh, South Carolina was weirdly at like 55.7. Most teams are well below like 40, uh, 50, 45%. They're kind of in that 40% range, which is pretty bad. Michigan State has been above 62% twice. So it's just, I mean, whatever they're doing to get to score in the paint, and I think I think a lot of it is is the way they pass. I think a lot of it is how aggressive they are with the ball screen. I'm starting to think, at least with Tillman in, I'm starting to think this is a bad matchup for Michigan. Yeah, you know, well, and I know I know you're interested yeah. in to see. I really, until I see it, I think I think Michigan State would win a third game. You know, especially since it sounds like Nick Ward is coming back. Um, I just mentioned how great Tillman has been, but you know, having another piece to the puzzle, I like until I see it. It's like Michigan was for the state team last year. You know, I thought Michigan was a bad matchup for that team last year. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's why they swept them. I think it's, yeah, I mean, it's pretty. It's this is a game of matchups. It always has been. It always will be. Right. So, and it's clear, yeah, that there's they have found something to exploit. You know, as you like, you look at Michigan's losses. You know, it's like at Wisconsin. Well, teams just struggle against Wisconsin at Wisconsin because it's like you're on. It's like you might as well be playing on Mars. I think it's worth noting Michigan was 17. Like it was just hard. I think they were due. You know, I hate that right. phrase, but I think they were kind of due for a loss. Right. And it was just a bad, I agree. I picked bad them. matchup. I picked, I picked that loss. Yeah. Yeah. Iowa was just sort of the dud that I think we talk about where like nothing was working on either end of the floor. Things seemed to be off on both ends of the floor. Still look at 10 Penn, fouls in 10 minutes. <laughs> that too, right? <laughs> Penn State, meanwhile, was, you know, Penn State's right now, isn't it, is it, wasn't it, did I read that on Ken Palm that Penn State's playing like a top 15 team or something the last month or so? Yeah, I think that might be still... Bart Torvik has done the math there because yeah, he Torvik, does the splits. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Penn Either State's way. up to 39th in Ken Palm's ratings. I think they're right. going to end up being a top 50 win. They're, already, they're guaranteed to be a quadrant one win, loss, excuse me, quadrant one loss for for Michigan. But they might end up being a top 50 team. And then right. suddenly, you know, as as bad as they are, what do you say? Oh, Penn State, you lost to uh, the 45th ranked team on the road. I mean, wait, your coach got ejected. Now the selection committee won't look at that, but um, – yeah, it's kind of you're right. Every every loss and I would I would say the home loss to Michigan State would be the closest to an exception. I mean, Michigan doesn't have a total dud game like where it's like a, a face plant resume killer. Agreed. I do think five losses is tough to like I don't I'm very skeptical they could be a one seed given how many teams are up there. Uh I think with two wins in Chicago I'd, I'd like their chances of being a two seed. Um, I mean, you know. that means you beat Purdue probably, right? I mean, unless Penn State. Yeah, or, well. I mean, I'm not writing off Minnesota either, but. Right. I, I think the I, ideal scenario is that you face Iowa, Purdue, and someone you can beat in the championship game because that would be two quadrant one win. No, three quadrant one wins because quadrant oh. one will be everyone in the top 50 on the neutral site. So, is Indiana in the top 50? I think they're just outside. There's like four teams that are just outside. So maybe well, if you so catch they, a team they, on a run, yeah. Well, then Indiana would be in the top 50 by the time they get to the championship game. Right. That means they've right. beaten Michigan State and then probably, yeah, like Maryland or Wisconsin, right? So. Yeah. so so a couple wins in Chicago, 
the point of all that was that the couple wins I think would bump them to a two seed. Uh, but but you know I think it's it's one of those things. I I think fans it's very hard I think for fans to see seventeen and zero start uh, nine and five finish if if I'm correct on that and and be like oh and still be excited about March. But also twenty six regular season wins. That's a that's a beeline record. That's tied for the well. My, did it tie the? I think it tied the twenty thirteen team. But regardless, it's t- it's tied for the second most in school history. I think eighty five eighty six had more. They had twenty seven. But I mean, you're talking about a fantastic season. A team that's been in the top ten since the what third week of November, maybe December. Uh, so so I so we got a question actually. Let's let's do this and then we can maybe do some of our Big Ten tournament picks. But Sean Saint asked, what specifically needs to change for U of M to make a deep NCAA tournament run? Which is a it it's an interesting question because, you know, I think there's a lot of ways you could easily answer it. Shoot better, uh de- defend better, <laughs> score more right. points, allow fewer points. Right. But I you know, knowing Knowing that you can't change everything, like you have uh, four or five days, you have this week, and then you have next week until Thursday or Friday, you know, you don't get to change everything. You probably don't get to say, oh, yeah, shoot 40% from now on. But is there anything you see that can help Michigan make a tournament run? I'll name. One, just because I have the stat in my head, and I'll probably think of another one in a moment, but the average free throw rate in in college basketball is 30, 33.9%. When Michigan allows a free throw rate of above 36%, which is not that much higher than 33.9, they are 2-4. and four. They have losses to both Michigan State games now, some of that was fouls at the end of the game. Penn State, Iowa, and their wins were not, I think it was South Carolina, which was not a very impressive win. And then I think there was a blowout in there too, but it was still 2-4 and four when they do 24-1 uh, 20, 20, uh, when they don't. I think that's a huge one. Another split that I think people are, uh, maybe they're not sleeping on it, and I just don't hear about it enough. I think adding Charles Matthews healthy really does a lot. You know, I think people, I mean, they're 22 and one when he scores seven points or more in a game this year, and they are four and four when he doesn't. And so I think that's a big deal, you know, and you say, well, you can't change everything. Well, you can add maybe your most, well, definitely your most experienced player and maybe one of your two or three best players. You can add him, literally take the past couple weeks, because, you know, you can go back and watch the Michigan State film of the first game and decide for yourself. I, when I rewatched it, he was way more hurt than I, or way more ineffective than I thought. Like when I was watching the game, I was like, man, Michigan's really struggling. And then I looked back and I was like, oh, well, Matthews was one for eight. Couldn't keep up with Goins because his ankle was sprained and he was playing on it. And (laughs) it's just, you know, so I think, you know, if you're talking making a tournament run, I think it's, it's easy to just say avoid fouls. They try to avoid fouls. But I think that's a big indicator. I think adding Matthews helps because I don't know about you, Steve. I really think they could have used Matthews in the second half on Saturday. I mean, just the way Michigan State was going on that run, 
the way Michigan they didn't need a you know to to shoot like crazy, but they needed a couple buckets here and there so that they're just mentally and emotionally so they don't you know fall apart, and also just statistically to keep Michigan State from getting some momentum buckets. And so I think a bucket getter like him, someone who can create his own shot. Now you know you can have hesitation or reservations about his efficiency, but if they need a bucket, who are you giving it to? Isaiah Livers or Charles Matthews? I think the answer is Charles Matthews. Right. You know, Isaiah Livers, great three-point shooter. I I certainly love talking to him. I thought he was the best. I I gained a lot of respect for him, the way he handled the post-MSU press conference. You know, you can go uh, on our site and read the quotes there. I thought he was was very candid, but also just very thoughtful. Um, uh, Anyway, Nothing against him, but I think you'd take Matthews. And I think that the senior leadership, the lockdown defense, I mean, I know that's probably a cop-out answer, but specifically, like if we're talking difference between a first weekend exit and a potential Final Four team, Matthews is probably good enough to be that difference because a lot of this is going to come down to who they face. You know, what? how good is the team that they're playing? Where are they playing? When are they playing it? You know, who's got the mojo? Um, you know, you play it the first half of the weekend, the second half of the weekend. You know, I think last year, not to discount what they did, I think they played a lot of teams at the right time. They had several days to prepare for AM. Uh, they didn't have to face Gonzaga. They got to face a, a team that upset Gonzaga. They, they didn't have to face Kentucky, Kansas State, or any of those teams at the top. They got four or five days to prepare for Loyola Chicago. Do they beat Loyola Chicago in a one-day turnaround if it's a week prior? I don't know. So what I'm saying is the matchups matter. But I think between getting out of foul trouble, easier said than done, and getting Charles Matthews back, I think those are two big ones. Anything stick out to you as changes, realistic changes you could make? I mean, I'm I'm sticking with Jordan Poole still. Like, I, I think that... You know, they need to find that guy that can uh, – Brozdakis is, the, is you know, the main one, I think, but they I think they need that perimeter guy that can get them some buckets. And mm-hmm. you look at the quality team. I'm looking at his game log right now, and it's like that when the, the quality of opponent amps up, he seems to just not play at the same level. Uh, he was good early in the year, but I think mm-hmm. in the latter half of the year, you look at Maryland, he shot 28%, Michigan State, 38%, and a lot of those – what three of those were in the last three minutes of the game, right? I mean, he was probably about two for nine, two for 10 heading into the last stretch there where he hit a couple three pointers, you know, Maryland 33%. He was, he shot 40% against Michigan state uh, on Saturday. And again, I don't know if any of that was garbage time baskets or not, but I just and I think it's I think it just it keeps going back to the fact that he's shown and that he can be so much better than what he has been mm-hmm. uh, over the last month or so. And again, he's had a few great games. Like I, I think you pointed out last week, the, the Minnesota game, he played really well. Um, I think even I think he was really the only guy that showed up at Penn State. Too, if I remember correctly, so, Matthews had 24 points as well. Yeah, okay, so, but, yeah, so yeah. he had a good game. He had a good game at Penn State too. So, uh, I just, I just think he's more the the cattle. I think he's the catalyst because here's the thing: is like, again, you go back, you like, Michigan State is the one team that really kind of seems to have them 
I mean, partially would be probably putting it lightly, but I'm not going to say fully, but they seem to have a lot of what Michigan likes to do defensively figured out. Everybody else, though, it's like Michigan usually, if they're getting beat, they're either getting grinded out or their offense kind of completely sputters, you know, and I think mm-hmm. you'd agree with me that obviously their bigger question marks are on the offensive end, right? I think he's the guy that can alleviate those issues more than anybody else on the roster. And, you know, guard play is so important in the tournament. I think it always has been, uh, you know, I think by default, then I think that almost means that he kind of is the guy where maybe there's a little bit of pressure on him to step up, you know, a little bit more. And so, yeah, that's yeah, the biggest I, thing. I, he is, he is not, I guess this, the game, cause I think we talked about that on Saturday. It's like nothing's changed for me, I guess, in that regard. Cause he didn't, necessarily do a ton to well he did in the first half right and it, and you saw how good Michigan can be when they have two guys clicking and then in the second half Iggy still did well Jordan Poole did not and you saw what happened right so and it just seems like and he he's and I don't know if, how much of this is on him or, or just whatever but just a guy that just is not it's it's he's not finding a lot of open opportunities on the perimeter uh, and I, I'm sure it's because teams are rightfully, you know, playing up on him as they should. Uh, but it just seems like he's he's having to force a lot of shots, and you know, his shot selection I think is still a little bit inconsistent. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I don't know. I, I just I still think he's kind of the the key cog for them because you know Simpson, the guy. There's guys like I, I look at guys like Simpson and Teske and Matthews and like they bring so much on the defensive end of the floor and you can pretty much bank on that every night that I think you can maybe overlook their I don't say inconsistency a little bit on the offensive end but with Poole it's like if he's not putting the ball in the basket or playing efficiently offensively then he's he's you know not nearly as effective uh in the over in the grand scheme of the game so and that's not really yeah. an insult to Poole not right, because our, our question was, what's what's a realistic change? No, you don't get to say Xavier Simpson becomes Steph Curry and makes four right. threes exactly. a game. No, it's exactly. it's something within reason. Poole becoming a 15 to 20 point a night scorer is simply him going back to his December self. Right. I mean, exactly. I, I didn't realize when he, Michigan faced Purdue, he had five of five threes for 21 points. Now, I don't think that's fair to expect. Like that was clearly a, a an exceptional night for him, but well, is yeah. is a forty percent clip with maybe five or six attempts a game out of question? Not if not if he's playing at his best. You yeah, know, go back to go back to November, and again, I mean, keep the opponent. You don't even have to keep the opponent in mind with some of these though. UNC George, and Purdue. Yeah, George Washington five for eight from this is from three only. You know, he was over three against Providence. Uh, Two of three against Chattanooga, five of eight against North Carolina, five of five against Purdue, one of five against Northwestern, which was a subsequent game I almost lost, and then four of seven against South Carolina. Uh, that's quite a stretch. And again, yeah, UNC, Purdue. I know South Carolina is pretty down, uh, but still, I mean, it's a you know it's a power five. Opponent. I think they did all right. I don't think they're. they're oh, did they? Well, I, I think know. they're like fringe top one hundred. Mm, I shouldn't say that unless I know. Okay. I think they either were way. they were looking okay at one point, <laughs> right? But either way, so it's like you know, yeah, to get back to if they you know could get 
anywhere back to where that's feasible, then I do. I just, I think they become a completely different team. Uh, and I think I do. You talk about, there's that guy on every roster where it's like, okay, if this guy, I think, you know, I think X factor is what people usually probably call it. But like, if, if this guy is like plays well, then this team is harder to beat. I, I do. I think as this season is wore on, I think he's that guy for them. I think they are a completely different team when he is on his game. Because again, I think the, a lot of the other guys, there's either a combination of experience or like I said, like consistency, especially on the defensive end. Because again, you have three elite defenders in Teske, Simpson, and Matthews. And those guys bring it every night on that end of the floor. So their value, like they already have a high value there. Uh, so like I said, when Poole's on, on on the offensive side of the ball, I just think it's, I just think they're, they're totally different because again, they've, they lose, they've lost both games against Michigan State because they've gone into what they used to go into under Beeline, those, those extended offensive funks where they just can't buy a bucket. You know, the offense looks stagnant. It, you, you, they bring the ball, and the, they get in a half-court set, and it, it looks like they're, like, running through molasses. Like, they just they think it just looks slow, you know. And so, uh, you know, I think he's the guy most capable of, of changing that, you know, and I think Matthews would be the other guy. Cause those are the two guys outside of Iggy who can get in the lane mm-hmm. and create, you know? And so uh, much more than I think, I think when you're putting pressure on Simpson to be the guy to get in the lane and create, I think you're, you're at least running the risk. I mean, he can be that guy and can do enough to, to win you some games there, but he's not necessarily the guy you want in that role night in and night out. So I would agree. I, I think my, I think the X factor, just because I think he has some games where he's the other team just doesn't have a chance when he plays as well as he does, is John Teske. You know, I think I think when the way he was able to contain like Bruno Fernando, first team all Big Ten, he was visibly frustrated, at least in the second game. I can't recall I yeah, he was visibly frustrated in the first game too. He's scoreless in the first half and, and you saw I mean he held Ethan Happ to his worst offensive game of the entire season. And and so you see him against some of these guys, but then you see him against, you know, I think Luca Garza and Tyler Cook had a nice game against Michigan. I think Xavier Tillman seems to have his number. I both both groups a little bit smaller, more undersized guys, maybe quicker, uh, if I'm just going based off the eye test. And so I think if he can be a you know, we call him elite, but there have been games where he was only decent. And so if he if he can be elite, because a lot of these other, I mean, I'd say the Big Ten probably has the best collection of centers in the in the nation as far as college conferences go. You know, I think if they're playing, oh, I don't know, LSU. Does LSU have a guy that that Teske can't handle? Or if they're playing, I, I feel. Oh, by the way, South Carolina's 80 in the net rankings, so uh, not bad. solid, so-so, quadrant right. two game. Uh, maybe quadrant three, but anyway, decent but not very good. Um, you know, I'm I'm just thinking of looking at all these different matchups, and like one thing I'm thinking of is, does anyone have anyone that can score over Teske or around Teske? And so I think if he's if he's up to snuff, I think he can be a big factor. Plus, offensively, I mean, he can really break a lot of screens. I don't know what the situation was with Michigan State. That'd be a good question for for the coaching staff or maybe for the players. But we saw Nebraska, they play small ball, they switch on everything. 
And Teske got every single thing that he wanted. You know, it wasn't even like, uh, it was a weird game where it was like, if they really wanted to, Teske could have scored 50 points in that game. Um, just nothing, <laughs> nothing was stopping him that game. I mean, I think he had 22 points and like 12-ish shots. So I think he can be next factor. Uh, one other thing I think they can really improve on is non-Xavier Simpson passing. You know, Xavier yep. Simpson, he, I, think I, he's, I think he's still over six assists a game. I think the rest of the team might be around five assists per game. That's where I'd like to see Iggy. Yeah, he's got a low assist rate. He does not pass. He, because <laughs> and because he is so he's he has the handles and the physical ability to get into the lane. I think he's a guy that can really create a lot of open shots for like he like Iggy could be the guy, like it could be a guy that could get Poole going because he's going, you know, he's going to drive the lane, you know, and I think if he would, and I mean, cause, but he's, you know, he's very effective when he gets in the lane too. I mean, it is pick your poison, but I think, you know, you get him in the lane and, and they're, you know, the, they're going to have to respect his ability. So, you know, that he's going to, whoever's guarding him there, there's going to get some help. Somebody's going to be open. Right. And, I, and that's why I think like, I think we talked about this before where I think one of the things about Iggy is that, yeah, he's got a lot of times will like get the ball and he, he does, he almost literally puts his head down and just drives the lane and, and, and puts it up. And again, I mean, it's, it's been effective. Obviously the results speak for themselves, but you know, yeah, I mean, you want to get some of these other guys going a little bit more and, you know, and that's, it's simple, but it's basketball one-on-one, you know, you got a guy that can get into the lane he's going to find there's going to be open teammates, you know, and maybe find a few of those guys and it really open things up for everybody. So maybe he's kind of that guy that can do that. Cause Matthews, I still, Matthews kind of reminds me of, of Zach Irvin a little bit. And that I just, he, I just don't fully trust his handles when he's driving the lane all the time. Hmm. Like he's, he's got it, but I just think there's a little bit of inconsistency there. And then we talk about Simpson where it's like, Sometimes can't you know? Sometimes he's effective at it. Sometimes he's not. It just kind of depends on the matchup a little bit. But but Iggy's a guy I feel like can drive the lane on almost against almost anybody. You know that they're going to throw him up against whether it's because he can outquick a bigger guy or he can outstrength a smaller guy. As I feel like he's a guy that can really, you know, because I think what you just said is could be really the the key to all their problems is that they only have one guy that's assisting on baskets yeah so by the way the stat check this they average 13.2 assists per game Xavier Simpson has 6.3 of those yeah so it's not quite half that would I I think that number is more preposterous than than I gave it credit for they have points served though Simpson 6.3 the next best guy is Jordan Poole at 2.1 and so frankly I think I know you mentioned Iggy I do wonder at this like this juncture in the season he scored 20-plus points in three straight games. Do you just, with Iggy, because like last year, Jordan Poole, terrible assist rate. He was not a passer at all. And they just said, you know what? <laughs> we'd rather Bad. we'd rather him shoot than pass into a turnover yeah. so or yeah. pass into a bad situation. So, it's you know, I, I agree. I think Iggy, a little bit of like a drive-and-kick situation, I think could really do, do a lot of good for him. Uh, but I also think Poole and Matthews, they know the system a little bit more. They should be working the ball a little bit better, sure. uh, because you know, and Beeline kind of mentioned that on Saturday. He said, you know, 
Uh, would you have liked to have gotten into Teske more? And I think he's really sick of these questions because he's given snarky answers a couple times. I think before the game, he was like, no, we're not going to give the ball to our 7-1 guy on a 6-8 switch or on, on, a, on when Cassius is switched on him. We're just going to do step-back threes all night. And then, honestly, during the game, there were some good moments, but then there were some moments where they were just doing step-back threes. Right, uh, right. So, and, and after the game, he was kind of asked about it, and he said, you know, Xavier's really good at it. We're trying to get everyone else to the point where they can see those plays and they can see what pass needs to be made when it needs to be made, et cetera. So I think that's probably one other thing. Um, you know, there's you could honestly there's so many facets of basketball where like if they just improve incrementally, right, you like right. their chances more. But those are the realistic ones I think that we have. I mean, you want to see more from pool. Uh you you know, we both want to see more passing. Again, avoiding fouls. Easier said than done. Uh, I do think it's something that Michigan's quite good at overall. But I think some teams are, are better at drawing it out, including one that we're about to talk about in a moment than others. And then I can't remember what the other one was. I don't know. Iggy has four assists in his last nine games yeah. total. Yeah. So he's averaging <laughs> less right. than one assist. He's averaging less than one assist a game. I guess I guess for me, I guess I don't know. Like a guy that can get in the lane that easily. I feel like should just he should have more assists a game than that. I, it's, that's just my thought. I mean, you know, again, I'm not. He's obviously he's been their most effective offensive player on a night to night. And that's basis. where I come down. It's like I'm sure they've constantly. tried to teach him to pass. Like I'm I'm sure that they right. didn't go through the season saying, no, Iggy. You know, once you get the ball, you're just a running back and and just drive to the lane. But at the same time, you know, maybe there's something different. Maybe it's just even Don, John Teske like five feet away. It's just like almost like a handoff pass, and maybe Teske gets the layup. I, at the same time, he scored sixty, what five points in his last three games. Yeah, yeah. No, he's been. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's what I'm he's saying. Kinda... <laughs> like, it's, I agree. Yeah. But I, as again, for the guy, for a guy that, I mean, he does. He seems to get in the lane with, with ease, ninety-five percent of the time. I just, you know, I don't know. I feel like they, feel like there mm-hmm. should be, a little bit more passing the ball because again I, it's, it's to me it's not about one play it's about you know it's the same deal as you know when knowing when to run and when to pass the ball on the football field it's like you got to keep the defense honest you know and I think a guy like him because he's so effective in that area the more he can, if he can spread the wealth even a few times you know you get it to pool or you get it to Matthews, if he's healthy or whatever, and you hit a couple perimeter shots, well, then all of a sudden, you got some problems. You know, I don't, I don't know, because he's so un—he's so non-liable to pass that teams can just help, mm-hmm. and they don't really have to worry about the other guy. So yeah. I don't know. Who so, knows? so I probably don't know. What I'm yeah, talking about, but. Uh, that probably answered the question. So looking at the Big Ten tournament uh, for a little bit longer. 14 teams. I think they start tonight. We we record on Wednesday, by the way. If you're listening on a different day. Uh, they recorded. They played on Wednesday. You already know the results, but <laughs> I, I think okay. Let's start. Let's start with the first rounds. So there's five teams that are double digit seeds. One of them, Penn State, does get a bye. Uh, the other four are in action tonight. Any of those teams you think are are in a serious contention to pull off? Let's say two rounds of upsets. I.e. playing Friday. It's got to be. It's got to be Illinois, right? I mean, I don't. 
So I that's an interesting question because I, I think some other people are picking Illinois as a trendy pick. I know they've struggled a little bit about down the stretch, but I mean, when you're talking the 11, 12, 13, and 14 seed, I think you're looking more at capability, not so much about maybe what they've done. Uh, I do like, you know, like Rutgers hasn't been horrible. No, they've you know, been good. In the last, yeah, you know, so like, and, and I don't, you know, with Nebraska, I mean, who knows there. I just, I it, think Nebraska, Northwestern, I think the ship has sailed. I, I just think they're in it. They're done for the year. It's crazy to me to think. I know I know they lost Copeland, but it's crazy to me to think like when they came to Ann Arbor a couple weeks ago that they had a lot of the same team that they'd had the year before when they ran Michigan out of the gym. Like you had Palmer, you had Watson, Roby. I mean, they had a lot of those same guys who I thought, man, I thought Nebraska was going to be. Yep. Pretty good this year. And again, like I said, yeah, <laughs> Copeland, Copeland, a big loss, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. That's obviously a, a thing, but uh, yeah, just, man, you know, I, I don't know. So, but I, I it's got to be Illinois. I like the Sunmu a lot. I love watching him play, uh, you know, and, and Underwood style. I mean, they gave, gave Michigan some problems in with Oklahoma State. You know, I think if, uh, and Iowa again kind of seems to be kind of seems to be doing what they do every March. So, you know, if Northwestern <laughs> can get out of that game, it can beat Illinois. Then I don't know. I mean, like you said, the ship has sailed. But you know, Iowa's just been uh, garbage lately. Really, to put it not really mildly, I guess that's just putting it pretty frankly. But uh, you know, so we'll see. But uh, I guess of those four teams, though, I got it's got to be Illinois for me. I just yeah. Yeah, no, that's certainly a fair one. I think uh, the other one that stands out to me, and part of it's because they don't have to play today. I think Penn State. I mean, they, you know, in oh, the wait, thi- are we going double digit? I thought you were only talking. about I said who double digit tonight. seeds. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, Penn State. No, it's it's Illinois or Penn State. Then yeah. I, I'll read. Sorry about that. Uh, Penn State, in contrast, to Illinois, which I think is very stylistic of a team, and a team that has lost what five of six games to close the season. Yep, five or six games to close the season. I think Penn State's just straight up a good team. They just had a really bad losing streak there. I mean, they have won six of nine games to close the season, including two over Illinois, uh, one over Maryland, one at Rutgers. Uh, uh, Michigan. Are, Michigan, right. You know, it's a, sorry, I was, like, I was like, I knew they had a big one. Uh, no, and, and I think they play a Minnesota team. Now, Minnesota's probably, I don't know what, isn't Minnesota's Minnesota a look decent like. matchup for Penn State, though? Because I feel like Murphy's the kind of guy that can check Stevens a little bit more than some of the other. Like, that's a good, like, that's a guy, like, for Michigan, you know, Teske always struggles against Stevens because he can kind of bring him off, off the block a little bit, kind of play a little bit of a cat and mouse with him. But I feel like Murphy's the kind of guy that can kind of match up with, with Stevens a little bit better than some of the other guys. Like, Yeah, you're probably, that's probably a fair take. Right? I know, I again, I, I just it's I always talk about these two teams, man, but I'm telling you, like Maryland and Minnesota, they're like mirror images of each other, except Maryland is a lot more talented, but Minnesota's got a lot of talented guys. It just they're the two teams I feel like could if they get hot, you know, Maryland much more than Minnesota. But I just I wouldn't fully write off Minnesota either. I mean they won they beat Purdue like handily that night, uh, at the barn when they needed to get a win. I mean, I thought that was a pretty nice I watched most of that game. Oh, that was a pretty nice performance for their guys. So, uh, see, I am like polar opposite of you. I think 
Well, I agree with your overall sentiment because I think there's enough talent on both of those teams. I just think they're so poorly coached. I agree. I, I think Richard Pitino and Mark Turgeon, like, if either of those schools had Pat Chambers, and I'm not even, like, sold on Pat Chambers. I'm not, like, some Pat Chambers stan or anything. I just think anybody – I don't know. I just think, like, any serviceable Big Ten coach could really do a number with those teams. Now, granted, they did acquire the talent, and not every coach at Minnesota right, has. Right, but, right. yeah, it's I, – I don't disagree. I mean, I, I, I still – I've said it all year. I still think on paper I think Maryland's the most talented team in the conference. Like – they have I guys think that can, they, there are statistics that back that up. Yeah, they have they have the two big men. They have uh, Wiggins on the outside. Cowan's a great player. I mean, Maryland's got a lot of really talented dudes on their team. They're but I, top six minute getters, all top one hundred recruits. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about that before, and like it's it's you can just tell. You know, with Minnesota too, though, you got Murphy and Oturu down lower, both really good players down in the block. You know, and Kelsher's a really good three point shooter. Uh, McBrayer, I think, is a little inconsistent, but is a guy that can create a little bit, get to the bucket. I mean, I think they're an interest. I just always have thought Minnesota is kind of an interesting. You know, Murphy's one of the most unique. You know, he kind of reminds me of like uh, maybe a little bit better of a version of like Jay Sean Tate mm-hmm. at Ohio State. You know, just a guy that's just a. I mean, he is. He's like the definition of just a bruiser. You know, he's the only. He's a guy that can use the same move every time and still <laughs> like make it work or get to the basket. You know, that spin movie uses like almost literally every time he drives the lane or is in the lane. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. I think Penn State, yeah, Penn State, Minnesota is going to be a pretty interesting game to me. I, I think I, I could see why I, I don't disagree with anybody picking Penn State. I just, I don't know. Maybe actually, like, the computer just... simulations like Penn State because they actually rate rate them higher based on adjusted sure. efficiency than, than Minnesota. Sense. Minnesota's three and nine against quadrant one teams and so that's where i'm like i'm not sold on them because i think every time they have now uh, the purdue game was an exception but it does make you wonder was purdue kind of it was on the road were they kind of looking at looking past this game against a bubble team and now minnesota i mean the way they talk they keep talking like they're in yeah i agree i yeah (laughs) i feel like that's a kiss of death right 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 i agree i don't know i just I'm not saying like I would pick Minnesota to make a run or anything. Cause I think whoever, I do think Purdue beats whoever wins that game. I just, I do think Minnesota's there's just a, yeah, they're one of those two or three. I think Indiana maybe being the other is like those, those high ceiling underachieving, you know, type teams. Was, whereas like Wisconsin always seems to overachieve. I look at Maryland and think the opposite, you know, and it's, it I is, I, I totally agree. It's coaching. Cause Every time, I mean, the two times that Michigan's played Maryland, Maryland just they they turn the ball over constantly. They just look out. They'll go through long stretches where they look completely out of sorts, and you know, they're also extremely young. I think I don't think that's that irrelevant. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, they are the second least experienced team in the country, uh, <laughs> which is just absurd. But anyway, let's let's look at the rest of the tournament rather than just the the double digit seeds. Let's go with a dark horse. Now, it can be someone you just said, if you think Illinois can, but a team that you think that there is a higher chance of making it to the championship game than anyone's given them credit for. I don't know if you have one ready, because I, I got I to gotta think a little, little bit. I think I have one ready. Go ahead. I'm actually going to go with Indiana. 
Okay. Makes sense. You know, they, they two wins against Michigan State in the last month and a week. They beat Wisconsin. They lost to Purdue in a really weird. Yeah, that was a bizarre game. Yeah, you know, a game that they probably, looking back, should have won. I mean, but they've won, they've won, what, four? They've won four in a row. Like I said, Wisconsin and Michigan State included in those, and Illinois, handily. Uh, again, another one of those teams, like, they got, they have guys, you know, and Langford, I think, is talented. I think he's been, I don't think he's lived up to the expectations uh, at this point, necessarily. I think he's a guy who still relies way too much on his perimeter shot. You know, I think he's much more of a slasher type, but I do, he still is a guy I think that's capable of taking over. And, and with Morgan, too, uh, I, I do. I think Indiana's got some pieces, and, and they've had Michigan State's number. Again, I think on the flip side, I mean, yeah, I think it is a little hard to imagine that Indiana would beat Michigan State three times. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I, they're definitely, again, on paper or talent-wise, I think that they have enough. You know, and I think also you got to remember the other thing, too. Again, there are two things. They're playing good basketball. Like I said, they've won four in a row. And the other thing is they need a couple wins. And, like, those teams that, you know, I think what was Michigan was the eight or nine seed when they beat Indiana the year they needed to get in the tournament, right, mm-hmm. with the Chapman shot. I think Michigan was, like, the eight or nine seed that they year. They were. Yeah, so it's like, you know, those teams that – sometimes those teams that – need a couple wins to stay alive or to punch their ticket. I mean, sometimes those are the most dangerous teams. I always look at it like, uh, well, you think about in the NFL, like the, the wild card every year, one of the two wild card teams always like makes a run because they probably had to win two or three games in a row just to get to the wild card situation. And when you're continuously playing in that survive and advance mentality, I think you can maybe kind of use it to your advantage. So, uh, yeah, I think, I guess I'd pick Indiana. Yeah, that's a good pick. It's probably who I would pick. I'll bring someone different to the table. I will say, regarding the eight seed can do it, and and that that whole talk, Michigan was 10-8 and in Big Ten play when they were an eight seed. It was just like a weird year where there were a lot of like 500-ish teams, and they they lost all the tiebreakers. Indiana's eight and twelve. Right, yeah. So it's it's well, a was, little I different. Was griping about I was griping about Indiana even being considered for the tournament last week, wasn't I? Because they were like six and twelve at the time. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> two so wins I, later. No, it's right. yeah. I th- I think they're a good one. I think one that that they actually face in the first round, Ohio State getting Caleb Wesson back. True. If I'm not mistaken, you know, I think True. kind of like Forgot Iowa when when Fran McCaffrey was out, it's like you know what. How how good is it realistic to expect such a team to be missing either their coach or their star player? I mean they and they really leaned on Wesson. You know it wasn't like it wasn't like Michigan leaning on Iggy or or it was it was Carson Edwards esque. You know how much they were counting on Wesson to do everything. So so if, so if you're Ohio State then uh oh go ahead. Well no I was just gonna say real quick on Ohio State just wanted to see if you agree with me here. You know I know they didn't win. But if you are Ohio State and you're getting him back, do you, you know, do you think the rest of the team maybe feels a little bit more confident coming out of that Wisconsin game? The fact that they came back from such a deficit and really could have and should have won that game without him, yeah. you know, is that a confidence? Because I mean, they were weren't they down by like twenty or twenty two, like something crazy. Came back, took it to overtime, and obviously, you know, they I think they lost by three or four, but. You know, I don't know. So that's a, that, I forgot about Wesson because they are—they're totally, obviously, they're a totally different team when he's 
in the game. You talk yeah. about the Big Ten being so deep at the center position. I mean, he's one of the best ones. So, And for what it's worth, Ohio State should have confidence against Indiana. They beat Indiana in Indiana in February. So okay. it was sure. it was a little bit during Indiana's rut, but not too re- not too long ago that it's like irrelevant. So it could be. I I think I think they're an interesting one. I I think if I'm picking a dark horse, I think I'm gonna because uh, it's like I don't know where to draw the line. Is Wisconsin Wisconsin's not a dark horse? They're just the no, four seed. So. so I'll say, I'm gonna say Penn State because I I think. I think they are a team. They're similar. They're not super young, but they were. They were always going to be kind of rebuilding. I think it hit them harder than they thought. But I mean, the way Miles Dredd is playing, the way Rasir Bolton is playing, I I think they could pull off two upsets. I don't know if they could pull off three. I don't know if they could get to the championship game, but I could see them. I I'm predicting them to beat Minnesota. And I, th- I don't think it's in- infeasible for them to beat Purdue, especially, I mean, Purdue, I say this understanding that they could absolutely end up winning the whole thing, but they already have their banner in hand, and it seems like every year now <laughs> Michigan's beaten them. They faced Michigan the last three Big Ten tournaments, which is kind of funny. One They won in 2016, but then the last two years, they right. just didn't quite look like themselves in either of those either of those games and so maybe they beat Penn State maybe they very well could beat Michigan do you think that like I look at we talk about Michigan State maybe being a bad matchup for Michigan I guess I just always thought Purdue is a a good matchup for Michigan because I feel like they've you know and I say this who knows like if people believe jinxes and all that crap but I mean I, I just always feel like Michigan does a really good job on Carson Edwards and if you can neutralize him then I think Purdue's like really, really beatable. I, I guess I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe no. I mean, they held... he played well against them. I don't know. I, no, I know no, no. You're absolutely right. Right. So uh, last in in December, uh, they he had 19 points, which is fine, but he took 25 shots to get there. Right. Right. And right. and uh, excuse me, with... 21 shots. 21 shots shots to get there plus five turnovers. Um, and then against Michigan a year prior. He had 12 points on 16 shots, and then they did beat Michigan twice last year. He had 13 points on nine shots and one, and then in the other he had 19 points on 15 shots. So the past two matchups, they've definitely got him. Uh, I I will say, I mean, Purdue is a lot better than they were in December, and Michigan, right. I, I think there's a, a decent case to be made that Michigan kind of play, played out of its shoes in that game. I mean, they shot 12, I'm sorry, 13 to 26 from three. No, no, yeah, 13 to 26 from three. Uh, they had, I don't know, it just seemed like they, they really had a phenomenal game. Uh, it was like one of those ones where it was just like almost out of the out of the gates. You know, it just, true. they weren't no, going to be agree. denied. They were up 44-28 at halftime. They went on a, yeah, they, they, they were up 31-16 nine minutes in. So it was like, and I, I wonder if it would have been different on a neutral court or at Mackey. Could be wrong. I'm sure it have been, should have been different at Mackey for sure. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's no doubt there, but I was, I don't know. I guess I would look at, and I, like I said, I think, uh, I think I tweeted this, but I, I just, I'd much rather be on Michigan's end of the bracket than the other end. I just feel like there's a lot of landmines. <laughs> 
That's true. In that on that side of the bracket again, because like I said, I think Maryland coaching whatever still think that they're yeah. a four, Wisconsin. Four to be you, I just you don't want to play Wisconsin. It just that's a team you always want to avoid, in my opinion, no matter what. Really, like mm-hmm. you don't want to get you don't want to get into one of their deals, you know. Which is why I could see them making it to the championship game because they just they just Wisconsin their way to the championship game, you know, by out Wisconsining. Yeah, everybody, you know, and so, uh, and then, like I said, Indiana, they need some, they need some wins, and I forgot about Weston for Ohio State, so I don't know. I, I think Michigan's on a better end of the bracket for sure, in my opinion. Yeah, I just, I mean, everyone's like Iowa is not that good of a team. I just, for some reason, their ability to draw fouls and their ability right. to shoot at all five positions just makes me think they could be a team. Michigan uh, falls apart too now. We'll see. Let's let's do predictions. Uh, we'll do a championship matchup. We don't need to go through the whole bracket. We'll do championship matchup, and and who wins? I can go first while you while you come up with yours. As much as we talked about these dark horses, I really think the difference in talent, coaching, and overall team quality between Michigan and Michigan State and everybody else in the conference. I don't think it's that close. I think it's a, it's really a, you know, and that's it's knowing full well Purdue could just steamroll through everybody. But it, to me, it really seems like right now it's a little bit of a of a big two gap everybody else. As good as the conference is, I just I don't think either team's going to be upset. I think Michigan State's just too good, especially if they get Nick Ward back. And I think Michigan is maybe not too good to lose. But they're going to get, it sounds like they're going to get Matthews back. I guess I, I don't right. know. But the way Beeline talked about it on Sam and I was radio show this morning, uh, the fact that he's doing much better this week than he was last week, and considering last week he almost played, you know, he's like probably a couple days away from playing, it sounds like he could come back. Plus, Michigan's going to be really motivated because they didn't win the Big Ten regular season. And as much as fans want to say, oh, it doesn't matter, it's just the regular season – uh, it matters to the team, and, and Beeline is on record at the Final Four saying of the Banners Conference Tournament title, Final Four, regular season title, he had no reason to say the Big Ten regular season was the most valuable, but he did. He said that's the indicator of the best team. So I think they're going to be really motivated to get something, um, and so I, I think it's going to be Michigan versus Michigan State in the championship game. That said, until I see Michigan kind of beat this current Michigan State team because I think, you know, the way Goins and McQuaid and and Winston are playing just such veteran basketball, but also just good basketball. I I until I see it, I'm gonna pick Michigan State. So I got Michigan State over Michigan in the championship game. It, just rather them lose in the semis the with the reaction if the Michigan State was to beat them again. Ah, be, see, somebody's thinking about what the fans will say on the message would boards. Be annoying <laughs> as hell to deal with. So, um, <laughs> I have Michigan winning it. I don't know, though. It's whatever. I mean, there's a, I feel like there are. I feel like there are about five or six teams that could win it. I, I like. I agree with you that the – I think Michigan State, Michigan on paper are the two best teams in the conference. I know Purdue finished second, but, again, that really wasn't of their doing. I mean, the winner of the – game on Saturday would 
beat them out. So, you, you know, and, and I think did Purdue only played Michigan and Michigan State once each. Didn't no, they? they beat Michigan State in West Lafayette. The the once each ones were Iowa, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Oh, that's, a, that's three of the six best teams in the conference. Uh, right. So, yeah, but so on paper, uh, and then I have Maryland continuing. I, I might as well just like buy a Maryland sweatshirt or something, how much I seem to like like talking about Maryland and like Maryland's roster. But, uh, again, I, I I have minimal confidence in that pick. I If I had to re-pick, I'm only going on the picks that I made. We did like the CBS conference bracket okay. pick thing. They did like a bracket. So I'm just sticking with those so I don't sound like a hypocrite. But uh, I'd probably, same as you, I'd probably pick Michigan State and Michigan to make it. Like I said, I just think Michigan's a good matchup. Produce a good matchup for Michigan. I think they get. I think they avenge Iowa if Iowa gets past the winner of tonight's game. Mm-hmm. I don't know about the, the who would win. You know, I just it'd be just it'd be really hard for me to see Michigan losing to the same team three times. <laughs> I, I see the way that get yeah, each of the games have played out that I think logic would tell you to make that pick, but. I mean, is Beeline ever? I bet Beeline in his entire career has probably never lost the same team three times in one year. I'd, I'd venture a, a small amount on that. That he's probably that's probably never happened. And you got to think the motivation. Here's the thing, too. There, I think there's some stakes here for Michigan still because you don't like you look at bracketology. And again, these are just rough estimates or whatever. The difference between like let's say the two seed in the West versus where they're at now in a lot of brackets, which is three in the South. You're talking the difference between playing Texas Tech or Duke in the Sweet 16. You do not want to play Duke in Louisville in the Sweet 16 at all. Like I, you want to get on the two line if you're Michigan. And like you said, I think the the road to a one seed is way too way too hard. I don't think there's any way, especially when Gonzaga can lose somehow and still be a number one seed. I think uh, that's gonna... fair, and we're not going to argue that here. But I think that's actually a fair. Nah, they're thirty they're and three. They, they're Michigan gonna lost. So they're, they're, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about Michigan over Gonzaga. I'm just saying Gonzaga on the one line with one. They they basically they beat Duke. That's all they've done all year. They otherwise they're playing a bunch of nobodies, and they lost. They couldn't even win their conference tournament. You know, it's like I don't know. I yeah, but they beat St. Mary's by forty. I mean, and beat them yesterday. But uh, you know, either whatever. Either way, though, like. It, you know, the, the Michigan, I feel like the most of the projections have had them sitting number two in the West for a long time. Mm-hmm. I if, I think that's their best case scenario. I really do. Like, if you're Michigan, I think that's where you want to go. Like, I, do, I wouldn't want to be in any of the other regions because you're looking at, I mean, that, that South region, you got, it's Duke and Kentucky in the same region. You just, just the talent for those two teams are just so high. I just, you'd prefer to avoid them, I think. So, uh I think for I think I think there is like, you know, Michigan. They're going to get a nice seed either way. I think we already agreed they're playing in Des Moines almost no matter what, right? I think that's <laughs> a basically a sur- like I haven't seen one projection where they're not in Des Moines. I can't tell but- if that's people like just being lazy or if there's actually some deduction there. Because like, if you're Michigan, wouldn't you rather play in like Hartford, Connecticut, get at least your New York alumni, or like go somewhere? I, I- well, I'm I'm seeing where the regionals are at. Yeah, there is Hartford. And San Jose, I'm sure they draw well. I mean, it's just... Yeah, I agree. That's interesting. <laughs> um, but either way, though, 
Like, you know, so I think there's, you know, this isn't just a, uh, and again, I mean, Michigan's going to go out to try to win the thing. I'm not saying they're not, or that they're going to like, you know, go on cruise control here. But, you know, I do think that there's some stuff on the line here because you want, I do, I think you want to get back on that two line at least. And again, if you can try to get in the West, because I just, again, Gonzaga's got a lot of talent, but whatever. I just think there's a huge difference between, I, you know, like Duke. I think I would pick Duke, Michigan State, Tennessee, Michigan, like all those teams to beat Gonzaga in a one in a one game type deal. So I think so. Uh, never mind the one seeds. The one seeds, I definitely would. The other ones for sure. But you know, so I think. You know, I think for Michigan, again, like I said, I think there's a lot, there is a lot on the line in that regard. The difference between playing Duke in the Sweet 16 and like a, like a Nevada or a Houston or a, I'm looking at the sixes and threes in other regions or, you know, like a Texas Tech, you know, or like the, the difference is huge. Because I think a lot of people are going to pick Duke to go to the Final Four, maybe win the whole stinking thing. So, is Zion uh, back? Not yet, but I, We'll see there, but either way, I mean, even without him, they're still. Uh, mm. I know they're very. They're. Uh, I know they have underwhelmed that, with Zion out. I know. I think Michigan could beat them. They're just still a team I'd prefer to avoid if I was Michigan. I guess just because the, especially if he does come back, uh, you know, if he does, if Zion does come back and play, I don't want any part of Duke. Not just because they're going to be better with him, but just, you know, they, they're. Just think of the ratings if Duke makes the Final Four with Zion Williamson. Like that's about the only way I'd put it. So, um, so yeah. So oh. a lot on the line. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no. You don't get to cry conspiracy. <laughs> I just yeah, it'd be interesting. So it'd be interesting right. to see how that how that goes for Duke. If We're he's switching back. to football. <laughs> Come on, man. dude. He's he's on the front page of ESPN on nights where he just like dunks once against like Virginia Tech's team or something like he's like always on the front page of espn so whatever but uh not full conspiracy just saying like i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to be in that matchup it's just a team i'd want to avoid okay we'll say semi or minor conspiracy just say (laughs) so i'm not a conspiracy guy by the way what's funny what's funny is i didn't even ask you about the bracketology and this is <laughs> and this is we're where here. It went. Yeah. yeah, I know. Because you were well, like, no, I think Michigan will be motivated. And then you explained everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I'm looking at because I'm looking because the current bracketology has them in the south on Duke's side of the bracket. That's the only reason I'm bringing up Duke is because yeah, like I look at where they were last week, which is two in the West, thinking like, you know, they would they would be favored probably in any against any other team in that region, and then all of a sudden you're you know, you lose a couple games to a top five-ish team like Michigan State and you're the three seed in the South and all of a sudden the road looks much, much more difficult than it did before. So that's really where it started. And then, yeah, Duke, you know, so yeah. Um, anyway. So so let's let's do a little bit of football. Uh, that went a little longer than we wanted, but we're still going to do football because we promised it in the intro. Uh, big questions. We did them for, fo- for quarterback and running back last week. Receivers and tight ends. So I guess you know we're doing a big questions story in uh, probably thir- Wednesday night. I think the big one at receiver because you know roughly what you're going to get from Donovan Peoples Jones and and Nico Collins, and you feel comfortable with Oliver Martin and Ronnie Bell, and in and, and as well as 
whichever 2019 recruits they decide are going to be in the rotation this year. Um, you don't know what you're going to get from Tariq Black. And I think, to me, that's the difference between... I mean, because he could range anywhere from, like, decent backup. You know, the players and the coaches think the world of his ability and his potential. I mean, they they keep talking about him as, like, part of that big three with Peoples, Jones, and Collins. And I, there there was obviously two times where in, at the, toward the end of fall camp, he was looking like a starter over Collins, who ended up with 600 receiving yards this year. But at the same time, I, I think if you're being realistic, back-to-back, near season ending or, or significant foot injuries that required surgery, you know, and then when he came back, I, I, I don't think he was fully healthy, but it was only four catches and 36 yards in uh, six games. You know, I think if you're if you're looking at this seriously, I think he can range anywhere, anywhere on the spectrum of receivers. I mean, he could very well be the best out of all three, right? And, or or he could not be. He could be, you know, maybe maybe so be the third so. of those three for sure. Yeah, yeah, and and, and who knows? I mean, I don't. I in. Since we don't get to see practice, I don't know how healthy he is. I don't know what he can do. I don't know if he's lost a step. Because sometimes that happens. I mean, I think back to uh, Zach Irvin. Suddenly he was not this high-flying, hyper-athletic dunker that he was. He was a different player after his back surgery. So different example, different injury, different person. But at the same time, I think, to me, that's the biggest question. The other question is, Will they use them enough? Because we talked a couple weeks ago. Someone asked who's going to get the most touches. Um, and and we said down on Peoples-Jones in theory. Uh, but at the same time, you have to see it happen first. But, yeah, to me, Tariq Black could be anything. I mean, it could range good or bad for Michigan. But that's going to be a difference maker because I think if you have a third guy and you're able to like line them all up at once – it's just kind of like, well, what are what are opposing defenses supposed to do? Right. No one, maybe Ohio State, but no one else has three guys that can cover guys like that. I mean, you're well, talking then, maybe at, at his ceiling, and then sorry to cut you off there, but no, Tariq no, no. Black could be if you have all three guys and they're all legit good, you could have three of the top six, seven, eight Big Ten receivers. Well, and then you throw in a bell. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to spread things out more, which, again, that's the thing is – and it, here's the thing. It's like, you know, it's like, uh, are they going to do it enough? Like, I think that topic is going to just get beaten into oblivion this spring. And I don't think there's any doubt that they're going to be more of a pass-happy offense right. this year. I, there's no reason not to be just based on the personnel alone. I mean, I think people forget, like, Karan Higdon was really good. Like, it's not as if they were, like – you know, necessarily forcing things by giving the ball to a back that wasn't capable just to run the ball to run the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like Higdon was one of their best players. He was their first first team All Big Ten running back since Hart. Yeah, Tucson so, might have gotten one of the two first team, but yeah, I mean, he was the he was Michigan's best running back since Mike Hart. To me, the biggest thing, especially like with that receiver, is like, and at, you throw tight end in there, it's like you know, it's like people are just having these like visions. It's like, it's like, I think they feel like Michigan's going to throw the ball 800 times and they're going to have like three receivers with a hundred catches 
you know, like this is Madden. Yeah. You know, and it's like there there are going to be guys that aren't going to get the ball as often as some of the other guys, right? I mean, it's like it's just a matter of I do think they'll spread the wealth. I, to me, I think the biggest question is I think is who sep- yeah, kind of along those same lines of what you're talking about, but I was like who separate who does separate themselves? Cuz there is, there's going to end up being a number one guy. Like it's the way it usually is in some capacity. I mean, maybe there maybe there are two guys that both but there's going to be a guy I'd say from this standpoint that not only wound up putting the most put up the biggest numbers, but probably a guy that Patterson himself maybe prefers. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, it's like because I think Peoples Jones is a guy that can hurt them, hurt defenses in a lot of different ways. Is that that's why I like strictly throwing the ball? Like I'm I'm still not sleeping on Nico Collins is kind of even taking another big step this year because I just he just screams classic. Michigan wide receiver to me and uh I thought like I say he's one of the only guys that showed up against Ohio State did things that we hadn't seen a Michigan receiver do in a long time as far as those plays in the red zone where you can just throw it up to a guy and he'll come down with it you know that's something I don't think we've seen a ton of necessarily you know and not just the back shoulder throw but just actually jumping up and taking the ball you know sort of the Braylon style you know corner of the end zone type stuff you know because I do I think he's a a much more multifaceted receiver than he's given credit for, you know, so he's a guy I'm kind of interested to see. And then, yeah, I think the battle at slot is going to be really interesting. Cause I, I think we talked about it a little bit last week and I agree with you that I think they're going to get more production out of that spot this year than they did with Grant Perry the last couple seasons, mm-hmm. just because I think both bell and Martin are more, are just more talented. I think Perry's biggest asset. I think he was a pretty good blocker on the edge. Uh, and I think Martin was getting there with bell. I'm not quite, I'm not hundred percent sure where that was at. You know, if he was a guy, I mean, he did play in the, he played against Notre Dame bell did. I mean, this isn't like a guy that they threw in cause somebody got hurt. Uh, well, I mean, Tariq black was hurt, but you know what I mean? Though? Yeah, like there were yeah. plenty of other guys they could have maybe put in that position, but um, so, you know, who comes out of there. And then the other one, and I, he was one of the five guys I was interested to see this spring offensively. Kind of interested to see if Mustafa Muhammad can become a guy in, as far as the receiving aspect at tight end. Uh, he was a top 100 guy. He was their number one target at that position. I think McCune had 33 or 34 catches his sophomore year, his second, which was his second year on campus. This will be Muhammad's second year. I think he battled some very minor injuries last year. I think Michigan was just not worth it. Wasn't anything like horrible, just kind of some minor stuff that they just prefer to keep him out, not risk maybe more severe type stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's a guy at tight end that I'm interested to see. I think somebody asked about tight end too, didn't they? One of the questions was about oh, tight end. Uh, they might have. I, I didn't see right, it. I think, no, I, th- I remember it. It was, it was about, you know, if Michigan's usage of the tight end will be like what it was at Al- oh, yeah, Alabama. Yeah. It's yeah. like, to me, it's like, Michigan's already like, I don't think they need to prove like they've already done that. Like I look at Irv Smith had 44 catches last year. Jake butt had 51 and 46 respectively in his last two seasons. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so uh, one thing I will say, and this is my big question about the tight end group. And I think I can tie it into Muhammad. Do they have a tight end that can do everything for them? Because I think that was something, you know, yeah, Jake Butt wasn't like going to the pros because of his blocking ability, but he was better than Nick Eubanks. And I think right. I think Nick Eubanks is 
amazing at getting open downfield. I think he's he's you know I think when I think of like speed and space, he's kind of one of those guys I think of. Right. But they're not gonna play him every down if if everyone knows okay he's gonna run a ten out you know or something like it's and then McCune on the other hand. Still, I think he's a reliable blocker. I don't understand fans who don't think that. I, I just don't. Oh, he came on, came yeah. a long way. Yeah, I and but I, I think he took some steps back this past year, and and maybe it was the chemistry with Patterson. Maybe it was injuries that we don't hear about. Maybe it was just sometimes players have rough years. You know, the the coaching coaches change, the plays change, and it's just a little takes a little longer to sit in. But he, I think he had a very Similar to Kalik Hudson on the defensive side, a, a sure. down year, a, a step back year, because I otherwise well, he had, he oh, went from thirty. His production was cut in less than half. Yeah, he had 30, like, like I just thought he had thirty-one catches in two thousand seventeen. He had fourteen last year. Now part of that is Gentry ascending, but at one it point is. in time we were looking at Gentry and McCune as like kind of peas in a pod. It's similar to Devin Bush and and Kalik Hudson, to be honest. It, you know, there was like the two of them. And then one of them ended up getting a lot better, and the other one uh, maybe had a down year. Partly, you know, if you're looking at the stats, partly because the other one did well. But at the same time, McCune, I think there were some. I think he would admit it. I think there were some plays that were just mistakes on his part. And so, right. uh, you know, is he going to be a do it all? Is Nick Eubanks going to round out his game? Or, you know, I mean, I think we both listed Luke Shoemaker as our sleepers, but is Mustafa Muhammad kind of a little bit more of that complete package? Right. type of player and and can is that is will that be applied this year or right. do we see the beginnings of it heading into next year so i think tight end my big question is is can you do it all is there a guy that can do it all um or do they abandon that that's that's a you know, fair that's, question and too that's, and that's where and that's where it's you know whether you have four returning starters up front can, do they abandon not abandon but do they maybe you know does it become much more of a scenario based part of the offense than it does than it is the foundation necessarily right and I think and that's where it is I mean I think that's where you have to work around what your personnel is like and and McCune did come a long way on the blocking side of things last year you know and 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 Eubanks yeah more the opposite more of the receiver kind of what Gentry was really Um, and they were able to play Gentry more as you said because the offensive line wasn't right the, the Eubanks, disaster, 20, yeah. 20, 20 yards of catch last year. He only had eight receptions, though. It felt like he had more than that. It felt yeah. like he had more than eight catches last year. Well, I think year, he but... had, like, one in six or seven different games. Right, Like, he was right. very rarely a let's go to him a lot. And that's he was a, and, yeah. and as much as people love what Nick Eubanks can bring, that's something to keep in mind is a do-it-all tight end. Like, if, they, if they're really trying to replace Gentry, I believe Gentry had a catch in every single game. He wasn't, like, some pop-in here and there with a, with a neat play. He was a one of the go tos. You know, he had over 500 yards receiving. So I think, but you're right. Do they abandon it? Do they just say, you know what? We've got a bajillion receivers and a good offensive line. I don't think they're going to abandon the tight ends. I don't think. No. Harbaugh's still the coach. They still have a specialty tight ends coach. But maybe they're not looking at those guys to be 500 yard receivers. Could be, I think this responsibilities could be a little bit different as well. It might be more like what Eubanks does is like, you know, I think Eubanks where his value would be is that you, you know, could be you force a linebacker out of the box, make him run around and chase you for a while. Mm-hmm. Maybe you get open, <laughs> maybe you get, maybe you get open and, you know, get 15 or 20, but you know what I mean though? It's like, 
you know, it's more of much more about the receiving side of things than it is about, you know, a chip block to, you know, free the edge for an extra half second or something right, like that. You know, right, that's right. where I think, uh, and that's where I'm, that's where I'm interested to see. But as far as like, you know, utilizing like Irv Smith is like, you know, I think Michigan already has proven and shown like statistically that they, like they know how to make productive guys of that position. So I, I don't know, I guess it'd just be, okay, can they just keep, are they going to keep doing things the same? Cause like I said, it's like, yeah, you go down the line and it's like, well, you know, who's like, it's like all these guys, like not every one of these guys is going to have like 40 catches. Every, this yeah. year, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's just not possible. And so uh, that's why, like I said, receiving wise, I'm interested to see which two or three guys. And I suppose that probably means probably about two guys at receiver and one at tight end who really or kind of do they say is Tariq black so good. They say, Hey, tight ends take a back seat. Cause this guy can do this. That could be again. And that's where I think that's where I think, I don't know if we'll learn about that this spring because we only we only always learn what Michigan wants us to learn. Mm-hmm. But you know that's that's got to be a feasible. It's got to be a possibility, right? Yeah. I mean, again, you have okay, you go back to having four returning starters up front on the offensive line. You know, it's like you have to you have to run your offense around your personnel, and I just continue to think it's funny that Michigan fans, many or probably not many, probably just the same vocal minority that. Uh, <laughs> create a lot of the annoys us in all the other ways about. yeah yeah that create a lot of the topics I end up talking about but it's it's funny to me that they the people don't comprehend that michigan you know they lose their star running back they lose their potentially lose their other top running back their only other third year guy is dismissed you know it's like they're so thin there that 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 they're not going to pass the ball a lot more with a first time second like a the first time they've had a returning starter under harbaugh four returning offensive linemen and at least three. I'm big on Ronnie Bell, though, because I, I do. I think Ronnie Bell is – I think he's going to be legit. You know, you bring back so much talent at receiver and at tight end, it's like, you know, no duh, they're going to be throwing the ball a lot more. Yeah, I year. don't get the people who are like, do you think they'll pass more? Like, I really don't – that's going to be the most annoying question this spring is how are things different under Gaddis or or Prove it. do you feel like you're throwing the ball more in practice? And it's like, well, no duh. I mean, they have – in their passing game alone, they have three wide receivers and at least one quarterback and offensive linemen, all of whom could be drafted next in 2020. You know, I mean, you're talking like six or seven guys in the passing game that could be drafted. So no duh, you're going to pass it more. I mean... It's up there with uh, people that still want to make like sweeping judgments and takeaways from the bowl game which I continue to just believe was completely worthless as far as it means nothing as far as what happens this season, much like the South Carolina game last year meant nothing as far as how Michigan ended up, you know, did the South Carolina game have any, was that why Michigan lost to Ohio state almost a year later? No, (laughs) like they were one win away from the big 10 championship. Like, that game was so far like you know what you get what I'm saying it's like they had nothing or did it yeah now like, now when we talk about Notre defense Dame. next week I, I I do think that there were some concerns raised but yeah I'm with you uh real quick on the offensive line we just we talked about it four returning starters um the th- the I mean Bredesen and Ruiz I'd say are probably two of the top players on the team I mean not not, not one and two but I think I think they're up there I mean they both seem like 
second-day NFL picks right now. And then John Runyon Jr., I think he was really shaky. Uh, speaking of Peach Bowl overreactions, I think he was very shaky in the last two games of the season on, on top of the first game of the season. But first team all Big Ten. And then and then Michael Nwenu, I don't think he has locked down that job given all these reserves are getting another year of experience. But at the same time, he has been a starter most of the last two years. Uh, so I, to me, the big question is just going to be who's the left or who's the right tackle. You know, maybe they move Frunyan around. I don't know, but it seems like a battle between uh, Jalen Mayfield, who is checks all the boxes athletically. I think he's he's one of those guys who, uh, if he if he proceeds in his career as as Michigan expects, I think he could just kick butt at the combine. You know, be one of those. Uh, who improved their stock at the combine? He'd, he'd probably yep. be one of those guys. And then Stuber, who is has more experience. He's huge. Uh, he does have some starting experience. It wasn't glowing, but at the same time, it was his first time. It was not. The expectations were kind of low. Um, right. at, at least they should have been. They should have been kind of low. But yeah, I mean that left tackle spot. You know, Ryan Hayes has put on weight. I don't know that he's necessarily gonna be uh, fighting for that for that starting job just yet but I don't know anything else stand out any other questions you want answered in the spring about the offensive line it seems like Ed Warner kind of shut up his critics in record time right uh yeah I think my biggest thing is like if you know is somebody going to challenge the incumbent any of the incumbents like will anybody see see a challenge and yeah i agree with you like i've reason bredesen i mean i feel like those are you can pretty much write those in pen uh, and probably runyon too so it does it comes back to Anwenu, who funny enough ironically enough still might have the highest ceiling of any of those four guys like his you know he's just he's huge he's agile for his size like he's just diff- he's just always been built differently i do think he played i think he took some real steps forward last year. Mm-hmm. But again, yeah, you talk about, and that's the thing is like, man, not only did Warner like shut up the critics in 2018, but all of a sudden now Michigan's offensive line looks like, like one of their team's strengths. And that's not just because of the starters that they have or that they're returning some guys. It's like, there are talented guys like waiting in the wings. Yes. Benelis, Filiaga. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Honigford, you know, is another guy. And then you talk about Mayfield and Hayes. And then not to mention, you bring in six true freshmen this year, too. Who won't you know, be here like, for spring, but. No, none of yeah. them enrolled early, which to me is a great indicator that they, you know, that each of those guys, barring something crazy, will probably redshirt. You know, and again, I still think, I don't think it's a zero chance that I, I do think maybe Nolan Rumler could come in and make some guys sweat uh, at right guard but either way you know it's like and that's what and that's with James Hudson leaving mm-hmm. you know imagine if he was still around it's like they'd be deep as heck on the edge uh, and yeah because you, you know Mayfield and Hayes are the ones that get all the talk but Stuber like you said uh, not a great first didn't pass his first test I'd say but that's not the easiest situation to get kind of thrown into randomly is playing against Ohio state in Columbus, uh, <laughs> is not easy. So I think, 
you know, yeah, I do. I think the biggest thing for me, offensive line, yeah, there's the one position battle, which is going to get a ton of talk this off season. But also to me is like, can, is there anybody who can, you know, like, what about a guy like Filiaga? You know, yeah, my sleeper groomed, on the O line. Yeah. Or is he just groomed to take over for Bredesen after next year, right? Because uh, that's where he's always taken his most most of his reps are at left guard. But sure, but he's so big and strong, inter- you know. Yeah, those are interchangeable. You know, it's not like uh, him him playing mostly at left guard is going to keep him from maybe if they like what he was doing enough that they wouldn't give him a shot at right guard, right? So it's not like it's you know. But Honingford, I thought looked pretty solid in his limited play last year as well, and he was a guy. He's a lot like Uche was on the defensive side where Honingford was never, and maybe we talked about this before. I feel like I've said this, but yeah, I've heard Honingford, it. Yeah. yeah. He was never a year one or even year two guy, right? Like he's a, he's a year three, year four guy. He had a lot of work to do in the weight room. I think his technique was a little bit raw. You know, he came from a tiny school in Ohio, but you know, again, had that athletic, the athletic ability down, right. Had that athleticism was already there. So, you know, he's a guy, I think, like I say, you got, guys to watch for even Phil, I don't know Phil Paya somebody asked about him in the chat the other day I'm not really sure what's going on there I don't know if he's gonna ever gonna make a real dent I do know I liked him a lot more on the offensive line in high school than I did in the defensive line I think somebody hmm, asked okay. if they'd move him back but I liked him more on the offensive line so I don't know like I said it makes sense in theory with the, the bodies it feels like they're gonna need on the defensive line especially in the interior but I, I just always thought he was a better offensive lineman so well, it's never yeah. good to move someone and then move them back and like right, you know right. you really only get one or two moves. I feel like agreed, agreed. So yeah, I mean for the first time and I don't know how long, offensive line is one of the more boring positions to talk about for yeah. Michigan because <laughs> it feels like that everything is that they have a great great foundation. And I think for the first time I can remember, you know, as if a guy goes down, like they they should have an adequate guy to replace him. You know, like uh, adequate, if not good, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, cause yeah, you talk about like, say Stuber wins the job and he gets injured, you know, Mayfield at this point, I believe would be, I mean, there was talk of him playing last year, right? Got to think that he's only continued that progression since then on the interior. They got a ton of guys, you know, you talk you mentioned Spinellis. I mean, Spinellis is a guy, he started the bowl game in 2018 against South Carolina. Well, and you he's know, just so, done good in every every time he's yes, been asked. Yes, he's a good. He's a he's a guy. I think I think Spinelli would be starting for a lot of other teams. He's just yeah. behind Ruiz is just a different guy, you know. And, and but that that being said, you know I think Ruiz is a guy that still has another level that he can get to. I mean, he played well for the most part last year, but I don't think he played as well as he can. Not at all. Like he's a first teamer. He's a first team potential type guy. So, you know. That's a good. It's a good spot for them to be in up front, which is why, again, which is why I think, uh, you know, I think there's a real chance. That's one of the biggest reasons I think Michigan could contend and, and has a, a decent chance to be end up with a better record and do better than they did last year. Because I just up front on the offensive line, they're going to be. It's it's finally a strength, you know. And I think Michigan fans have been waiting for it for that for who knows how long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they do have to step up in the big games. You talk about Runyon against Ohio State. And Notre Dame. I mean, he was bad in those games. So that's. And I, I think you could argue it wasn't just him. I think the line right. was, you know, and it's, and it's one of those things. It can change in the blink of an eye, you know. Just like the cornerbacks can be great all year, and then suddenly they're getting toasted, um, you know. Or it, it happens with every team and every position. I'd argue in every sport, you know, it's just building that consistency. 
getting better. I mean, they, they certainly have room to improve. None of them are first-round projections, so um, certainly a lot to keep an eye on. But but that's going to do it for our podcast. Check out all of our stories at michiganinsider.com, 247sports.com. We are a day early because I want to be able to provide live coverage at the Big Ten Tournament, so stay tuned for that. Our spring preview series is just going to we're going to keep pumping stuff out. There's going to be some interesting stories, different storylines, ways to look at some of the spring stuff. Uh, so be sure to check it all out. For Steve Lorenz on the phone lines, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. See you next week.